I thought I'd just tell you a little potted history over the course of this talk of work and the impact it's had in my life and also the seasons when I haven't worked and what God's been doing in that. So I started work quite young. I think I had my first job at 13. I used to get the piles of newspapers ready for the paper boys to come in. So I'd go in at six and get the papers from the delivery and then I'd set them all up into the paper boys' bags and then off they'd go. And um, I basically worked ever since. And I love it. I like doing stuff. I'm one of those people who can't really just do nothing. I I really like doing stuff. And um, part of my love of working when I was a teenager was I really liked going to the theatre, but going to the theatre was expensive. And so if I worked, I could go to the theatre. And so therefore I got on and did it. And as a teenager, and not all teenagers are like this, and I'm becoming aware that I was probably rare. I was just totally believed. If somebody told me I was good at it, I'd be like, yes, I am. And off I went. I had this absolute confidence in what I could do, who I was, and my abilities. I, when I was in my mid-teens, somebody said to me, you're a stage manager. You're a great stage manager. And I was like, yeah, great. All right, then let's go. And off I went. And I um, started doing stage management in theatres and very early, from about 15, 16, 17, I started stage managing for adult theatre companies. And so I was the youngest person in the room, which at times was really inappropriate. Um, like now, you'd be like, this just shouldn't happen. Um, but it was amazing. I loved it. I learned so much. And I didn't really doubt that I had my place. I totally believed that I was the best person for the job, and so why wouldn't they want me to do this? Um, That was just my life. I look back on it now and think, gosh, where did that confidence come from? Because I think it came from God. But I didn't know that at the time. I wasn't a Christian. I had no Christian um, influence in my family. My grandma was a Christian. We went to church at Christmas, but that was it. And that was only so I could stay up late. Um, so I had no, no faith influence whatsoever going on in my family. But I'm pretty sure that God was at work then. I hit 18, I head to Bristol and I come to theatre school. I loved theatre school. I loved being there. It wasn't the kind of degree where you had to write anything. In fact, I don't think I wrote anything more than a paragraph in the three years that I was there. Best kind of degree you can do. Everything was practical. Fast forward 10 years. I'm married. I've got two children. And things have changed. I'm no longer in paid employment. I do a couple of small volunteer stage management jobs just to keep my hand in to make sure I'm staying kind of on top of the skills um, that I need and also to maintain my sanity. Um, And I start to doubt. I start to think, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. I'm not very good at things. Oh, no, somebody else should probably do that because they'll do a better job than I will. You see, when you're a parent, 
you don't get any real feedback on how you're doing. As a job, you know, people employ you and you might have an appraisal. They might say to you, these are what you're brilliant at. This is what you're not very good at. These are the things to work on. They'll give you feedback or they just won't sack you. And so you know you're probably doing okay. As a parent, nobody does this. So you sit with said child in toddler group, watching other toddlers doing some things better than your child, some things worse than your child, and going, hmm, I don't think I'm very good at this. This isn't, I don't know how to do this. And then child number two comes along and they're totally different to child number one. And everything you thought you've learned to do turns out doesn't work on the second child. And you start to doubt. I started to doubt. Some people don't. I started to doubt. I started to question whether I could do things. It's hard. During this time, I was arguing with God. Arguing with God is a theme of my life. I'm doing it at the moment. God and I are having quite a major conversation um, about some other stuff. I am totally a believer in having kind of big conversations with God and say, asking God difficult questions and saying to God, what is going on? I am not convinced I understand this. I, I really, I really think God can cope with it. I don't think he's scared of us asking him big questions. Um, but anyway, I was doing that. Um, and God kept saying to me, no, 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 no. Be available. I'm like, God, what are you telling me? What do you want me to do? What should I be doing in this time? And he was saying, be available. I was like, yes, 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 that's all very good. But what? What am I being available for? And again, he came back, be available. And I was like, okay, I get it. Be available. Be available. Like, to what? To love. Okay, but again, to love. It's this amorphous thing. What does it look like to love? What it looks like for me to love Mikey is different to what it looks like for me to love my children. It's different to what it looks like for me to love my kids' school. What does it... I don't, I don't get it. And, yeah. I look back on it now. And I do. And I can see what God was doing. But he kept saying, be available. I'm going to um, jump into the Bible. We are going to look at Judges 6. We're going to look at the story of Gideon. It's not a long story, so I'm just going to read it all. So it says this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever... The Israelites planted their crops. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern people evaded the country. They camped in the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave them to your land. I said to you, I gave them your, gave you their land, sorry. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. 
Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that he did that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel Israel, out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon goes on to work with God. Um, But I'm just going to draw out two little bits of that uh, chunk. There are two key verses that I want to talk about. The first one is this. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon was not a mighty warrior at the time. Gideon was threshing corn in a wine press, hiding from an army. He wasn't a mighty warrior. You know, nobody else would have looked at him and said, mighty warrior. But that's what God saw. It's challenged me to say, can we be available to God so that he can call out of us what he sees Are we brave enough to say yes to him? I heard a quote recently that said, true humility is agreeing with God about who you are. When God leads you into something, can we agree with him about who we are and step into his leading? I read this and think, well, that's all very good, very good, but... It's a lot of buts when I talk to God. Uh, what? I mean, I don't know about you. I have never sat under a tree threshing corn and the Lord appeared to me and said, mighty warrior, wouldn't life be easier if God rocked up and said to you, mighty warrior? It would be so much more simple. I'd know that I was a mighty warrior and off I go. God said to me, go stage manager, go whatever it is. I'd go and I'd be like, the Lord has said, so I can have confidence that I'm doing this. But do you know what? He doesn't. Mighty warrior isn't even a gift of the spirit. This is not something that's in the gifts that we can look at. But it is something that God calls him out to be. It's okay to talk to God about what we're doing with our lives, our work. And it's okay to hear the voice of God through God directly or through other people. When God says, you are an incredible organizer, you're an 
amazing just at, um, caring for people. You're an amazing carer. God speaks to us and uh, through people in what he calls us. You know, when God spoke to me, it wasn't a voice from heaven. It was a niggling thought. Sometimes people say, but how do you hear from God? How do you hear what God's calling you to be? How did you know God was saying, be available? The best way to put it for me is it was a niggling thought that came back each day. Each time I went to pray, it would pop into my head. When I was driving, it would be like in my head. And I'd be like, okay. So I'd start questioning God about it. We'd have this little sort of conversation about it. And then it might die down for a day. And then it would be back again. And then the next week it would pop back. And then um, Jo Paulson, for those of you who know her, had a conversation with me in which she used the words about being available. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. God doesn't often do the whole voice of God boomy thing. It doesn't always feel like a whisper. You know, for me, I don't hear that kind of whisper people talk about. Not in, not in any kind of tangible way. For me, it's a niggle that comes back and comes back and comes back. And as I talk with God, it's getting into that. Also, dream with God. That's another thing. Not dream in bed. I day, I'm a daydreamer. I like to daydream with God. I like to say to God, okay, take, come into my daydreams. Let's imagine what this could be. I want to imagine a future where you're working and doing stuff. I kind of, you know, I think that's fun to do with God. And as I look back, I can totally see what God's been in. So anyway, so when God said, be available, what, what was he talking to me about? What does, when I look back, what were the things? So he said to me, be available to be chair of governors at a school through massive transition. Be available to support friends who've suffered quite significant trauma. Be available for me to speak to you and for you to study. For me, this next one was the, one of the hardest. Be available to model honest parenting when social media shows perfection. I didn't like that one. You know, when God was saying these things, I would say, pardon me, my Lord. But school governance is massive. It's hard work. It's paperwork. I'm not great at paperwork. It's significant. Actually, the governance that I was doing at the time at a school that had failed in Ofsted and was going through a really tricky time was significant to what was happening in the school. I felt totally ill-equipped. I don't know anything about trauma. I've had to learn about the impact of trauma. I've not had any significant trauma in my life. I had to learn fast. I had to read. Because all of a sudden, it was in my life with people I was loving, and I needed to understand it. But I was a bit like, pardon me, really, Lord? I don't know if I can do this at three o'clock in the morning. I'm dyslexic. When God was talking to me about being available to study for him and study him, I was like, yeah, pardon me, Lord. I have not written anything longer than a paragraph in about 15 years. I think not. Turns out I could. 
and parenting. Parts of my parenting are messy. Really, really messy. My kids are not perfect. They have particularly spectacular tantrums in really public places. Really public places like little Tesco's in Southmead. I got kicked out by the security guard when one of my children was having such a monster tantrum. Everybody was looking. It was hideous. And all the way through, I was so conscious of what I was doing and how I was parenting my child through that. It happened on the school playground. It still does happen on the school playground. Things are happening My children are loud. I'm loud. It's, you know, genetics. Um, But people are watching you parent. People are watching me parent this tantrum that's happening on the floor at my feet. What I really wanted to do was just hide it all. It was messy. Looking back at it now... There was no denying what God was doing. Recently, a parent said to me in the playground how happy they were talking to me about parenting their children because they knew that my children weren't perfect and they'd watched me parent them through it. They'd watched me deal with some tricky situations and see the relationship I have with my girls now. And they wanted that. And we could talk about it. It was embarrassing at the time. It was hard sticking to my guns that say, I'm not going to shout. I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to get down on your level. I'm going to do all of these things that I believe are really key to parenting that are not necessarily the same way other people do it. I'm not perfect. (laughs) Really not perfect. But parenting confidently and publicly has been a blessing to other people that only now I can look back and see. And that's, you know, something I'm proud of. But it's something that I see when God called me to be available, to not rush this. Yeah, I see the way it worked. The other bit of this story I wanted to quickly talk about was this. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? I love this bit of the story. Go in the strength you have, not wait until you've got it sorted and feel like you can do it. Not uh, think you're the very best person for the job and do it. No, go in the strength you have. When God sends you to do something, we don't wait until we've perfected it. We go and we do it. That does not mean that we don't plan. We don't learn. We don't read the books. But it does mean we go as we are. About this time last year, I decided to go back to paid employment. Um, I was excited to do it and It happened quite quickly. From one moment I was not working and the next moment I was like, oh, I'm working again. And it happened over about a course of about a month. I got my first phone call, come back to work, two days work, working for McLaren in Woking, stage managing a conference. Honestly, I don't know how Matt lived with me from the time between getting that phone call and doing the job because I was absolutely in pieces. I was like trying to buy the things that I needed to do, restock my toolkit, buy clothes that I needed. I hate clothes shopping. It is a passionate hatred. Um, I had to go and buy a whole wardrobe of clothes for work. It was hideous. Um, I was having to remember all sorts of things, sort out public liability insurance, all sorts of these crazy, crazy things. And I was worrying. 
I was really scared. Why did I not remember this bit of Gideon that said, go in the strength that you have? Because I didn't. I just worried. This is the honest truth. I just worried. It was really rubbish. It was really hard. I look at it now and think, yes, God was calling me to go in the strength I had. He wasn't asking me to be perfect. He knew I hadn't worked for 10 years. He knew that I'd need to build up. He was calling me to go in the strength that I had. After all that worry, I was sat on the train to Woking and I was on the little branch line bit that goes between um, Reading and Woking. And um, there was a lady just in front of me and she was humming and I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to her to start with. But as we got closer to Woking, her humming got louder. And so I couldn't really not listen to humming. And I was like, oh, hang on, I actually know that song. Oh, she's worshipping. And as we pulled up to the station, she started singing. Her humming became singing. And she, she was just, had her headphones in and was just worshipping on the train. It was quite quiet. There were like hardly any of us in the platform or in the cab carriage. It was a bit strange. I was a bit like, oh, nice. But it was there. She was worshipping. I just felt like God was like, you do know I don't just live in Bristol. You do know that I'm on the train. You do know that I'm in Woking. And um, as we pulled into the station, I walked up the stairs with her to get out of, uh, out of the station. And I said to her, you know, God's been speaking to me through you. And she was like, thinking, I do hope I, well, I was listening right. I do hope this wasn't some like weird moment. She was like, oh, Really? Right? And I was like, and just explained that I was working for the first time in 10 years and I'd been saying to God how scared I was about it and how awful I felt and how lacking in confidence. And that just standing next to somebody worshipping, God had just spoken to me about how he was going with me and I just had to go and be me. Go and just do what God called me to do, to, to love and to work hard and to be the best I could. And um, <laughs> this lady was slightly weirded out by it, I think. And we quickly said goodbye and <laughs> off we went. And I don't know if she ever thought about it again. But I think about it on that train to Woking. I've been up to McLaren almost every month since then. And almost every time I get on the train, it's like, I think, oh, yeah, this is where God is with me and how I get off the train and God goes with me into my work. And that tiny thing that was probably insignificant for her was huge. God was going with me. My skills have grown over this year. I'm a lot better than I was that first time, that first time back. God has gone with me. Go in the strength we have. So I'm going to stop there because I've spoken for ages. Sorry. Um, do you want to talk? <laughs> Sorry.